Good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am glad to be with you. It is cold, but it is safe to traverse the streets, and I am glad we can gather to proclaim by our presence, by our gathering, that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Grab your Bibles, turn them to Matthew 7, put them on your laps, be ready to go to Scripture there. This may be one of the most quoted verses of Scripture, not because it best encapsulates the entirety of the book, it's not a John 3.16 or something like that, but because it can be used as a shield, especially by people that have things they do not want to deal with. I'm sure you've heard it, right? Don't judge me. Jesus says, don't judge. Oft quoted by errant wanderers and the perpetually transgressive, by every person that would emphasize their independence and free spirit in light of the expectations of any community, especially Christ's community. This is also quoted as a means of not engaging critical thinking or dealing with sin within the church. Don't judge. We're not supposed to judge. Don't worry about that stuff. It is at least a way to avoid a hard conversation if I can exempt myself from any responsibility, right? Don't judge me. Fun stuff, huh? Let's jump into it. Now, this scripture is nestled in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been walking through the sermon, this sermon of Jesus, the sermon of the King, for several months, and, it, and we took a couple weeks off during Advent, during Christmas, but we are back in to hear the words of Jesus. If you recall, we have been walking through what it is like to live in the kingdom with our hearts and even our actions positioned in a way that is informed by the kingdom, informed by the king. Jesus, the king himself, has preached through how our prayers are voiced and what forgiveness looks like. He talked about fasting. We talked about the relationship between God and mammon or stuff or money. The last portion of the sermon we went through was an imperative to not be anxious. Because if I understand who God is, my Father, and what He has done, I have no reason to be anxious, no reason to worry about the accoutrements of life. This morning, let's bend our ears to Jesus' words again. Today's will hit close to home because the prominent note for today is, do not sit in God's judgment seat sinful one. Do not sit in God's judgment seat, sinful one. Jesus says, let me read it again, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Judge not that you not be judged. This is a radical statement, not because it doesn't seem right, It seems generally right to not judge, but because it is antithetical to our default. We are a judging lot. There are a lot of judges here. We are constantly preferring or selecting or choosing a person over another, valuing opinions or assuming motives. This is a constant temptation, if not a constant action. And the king of the kingdom, King Jesus, proclaimed the coming kingdom and proclaims, if you are a kingdom citizen, if your actions fit the kingdom, then judge not. 
to judge, to condemn, or weigh another is not the position of the, of the Christian. When I presume to judge, I put on the robes of the king. I sit in the dais of the judge. I presume to have knowledge of the heart. I presume to have understanding and perception into the motives. I presume that I can sift through the actions and weigh them and proclaim judgment on them. Can we just sit here a moment? Because I don't want you, I don't want us, I don't want me. I don't want any of us to ignore these words. Judge not. Yeah, okay, whatever. Let's do a light reading. Let's keep moving. I don't really judge that much. Really? How often do you reach to take the robes of the judge? How do you interact with your neighbor? What do you think of them in your mind when they annoy you or inconvenience you? When their life does not match your preferred outcome, do you assume their motives and attribute to malice what may be ignorance or fear? Are you a fault finder? The critical one. Are you evaluating and condemning your neighbor or your brother or your sister What do you think of that sister in the pew next to you or the neighbor across the street or the person on the other side of the screen? The fellow image bearer on the accused end of the social media post. How often do you presume to have the mind and eyes of God as though we are God and can can sift the sheep from the goats? As though we are the bouncer saying, in, out, in, out. And with every judgment, we attempt to raise ourselves up over the judged. You are not God. You are not the king. You are not the judge. You are a servant of the king a servant of the judge, the king of grace. And the king of grace says, judge not that you be not judged. Set the robes aside because do you really want to be judged the way you judge others? It is a law of nature, it seems, that the critical eye we place on others will be placed on us. The way we posture ourselves with others will eventually be turned toward us. Don't sit in the judgment seat of God because you are begging for rough treatment. I don't see people presuming to judge others and doing so in a posture of mercy. When we sit, and I'm telling this to myself, I'm telling this to all of us, when we sit in the seat of the judge, we bring the hammer, right? We bring justice, yes, unbending, strict, lacking in no detailed observation. We see every slight, every mistake, every faulty decision, every decision that hurt me, and it must experience judgment.
Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Ponder your judgment of others. Would you want to sit under your critical eye? Ponder your social media posts. Would you want to sit on the other side of the critique of that screed, that witty meme, that perfect little quip? Can you hold up to your exacting measures? Can you hold up to your demands for perfection? You are begging people to judge you when you sit as the judge, and our broken human nature finds it very difficult to judge. Perhaps we can see a wrong. That's usually pretty simple. Perhaps we can point out the error, but can you point it out with absence of malice, without vengeance? Can you weigh what is right and wrong uninfluenced by your want for retribution or revenge? With the absence of assuming the motives, must you assume a deficient character for every slight? Must you assume a walking malicious actor every time she cuts you in line? What do you think of the person that cuts you off on the highway? Do you evaluate his actions and decide he has made an error and I can know nothing else? Or does your mouth spout off his inadequacies and malign his character? Well, maybe I'm somewhere in between those two things, right? We are broken, sinful people. We should not sit in the judgment seat because we are not perfectly just. We are not righteous judges. We are not good judges. And to put on the robes is to make a standard of judgment by which we will be judged. When we hold the scales, we presume to dictate the measurement. And if your measurement is wrong, overly critical, exacting, overzealous, deficient, picture the market. You go up, you say, hey, let's trade some grain for some fruit. I would like a pound of grain. I will give you a pound of fruit. And he says, okay, that sounds good. Let's weigh the grain. We weigh the grain. We check it out. Is it a pound? Move. Nah, there we go. One pound. Perfect. Now, you, now let's weigh the fruit that you are going to give me for the grain. Well, I have another scale for that. One second. Is that going to fly? No. Hold up, man. We use the same measure. A pound is a pound. You don't get to use a measure that is advantageous for you when you are measuring your stuff. You started. You provided the scale. Do you measure up? Do not judge. Do not presume to be God who can weigh individuals. God who can account for all the multifaceted aspects of your fellow image bearer and weigh them accordingly. Only God, not you, is capable of that. And what measure do you want used? I want a measure of righteousness. I want a measure of grace that doesn't assume the worst about me, that doesn't attribute motives that are not present. I don't want someone to see a mistake and attribute to malice when incompetence is more fitting or perhaps fear, or uncertainty, or ignorance, 
I may have just made a mistake. I didn't know. I want my judge to see everything as it is. Amen? The king, the judge, the good king, says, do not judge. I am the judge. Jesus, the king and judge, continues, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is hilarious! and depressing. It is a hyperbolic story, but it hits a little close to home, don't you think? Why do we see the speck, the bit of sawdust, the small blemish? We want to take care of it, yes, but it is small. Why do we see that but not the log in our own eye? Jesus is funny. The word for log here in the Greek refers to load-bearing timber. This is the kind of log you set the roof on in your house. This is the glue lamb holding up the second story. Sir, we are not sure you have an eye anymore. Why do we do this? The person takes the open parking spot right from you. How rude. I need to teach them a thing or two about courtesy. Dude, you have been stealing from your employer for years. Who are you? You know, that gal needs a bit more grace in the way she speaks. You rip people apart with your gossip. People should not be watching those type of movies. There are swear words in those movies. Who do you think you are? You have been locked in the habitual viewing of pornography for years. You're unfaithful to your wife. Why do you see the speck? There is an organ forest piece of timber coming out of your head. Doesn't that affect you? Doesn't that give you pause? And this is not just an observation thing. This is the presumption to be the doctor. We all do this. I, I can help you. I can see so clearly that speck in your eye. Why don't you just tip your head back and let me get that out for you? And they're thinking, you're going to hurt me with the Christmas tree coming out of your face. No, 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 you don't understand. I can see clearly. I have this book and I can see where you're wrong. We can work on this. No, I think we should swap the order of surgery. Again, it would be so much funnier if it were not so on the nose. This happens at the personal level, and I am sure all of us in this room have an example of having the speck or having the log. This also happens at the institutional level. It saddens me that the church as a whole spends so much time attacking the sin and mistakes of the world while ignoring or minimizing or hiding the sin within the house. 
Are there blemishes out there in the unredeemed world? You think? Of course. It is the unredeemed world. And I want everyone to be made new. I want every wrong made right. But let us pause. The global church, the American church, there are problems. There are pieces of timber in the eyes of the bride of Christ. How many times have we seen a church fall apart because of malfeasance with finances? Church leaders across the globe are inappropriately gaining money using ministry for unjust gain. How often do we see pride and arrogance obscure the vision of charismatic preachers and teachers? The American church is not free, the global church is not free of sexual abuse stories. Grievous. The church should be a place that is the hospital and the home, but it has been a hell for many. There is a reason hashtag church too became a trending topic alongside hashtag me too. And your defenses are coming up. But what about them? We need to make sure we stay on the right side, fight against the right people. With the same measure, you will be measured. People in glass houses should not throw stones. Jesus calls out the tendency because he knows it happens. And either the personal or institutional level, someone calls out the log and we engage the what about game. Well, what about them? Well, they have done wrong as well. Well, at least we believe the right stuff. At least we hate the right things. You have a log in your eye. We must work on that. Sin will destroy you. Sin will destroy others. We must take it seriously. Jesus, the judge, says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You hypocrite. You are setting the standard here when you yourself cannot meet it. You are expecting people to have nothing in their eyes while the cedars of Lebanon are smacking everyone in the face. First, take it out. You may need help. The removal of a glue lamb is not a one-man operation. You may need community. It may take time. Sin is insidious and real and deadly. Take it serious. Seriously. Confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. The church is made up. This room is filled with the priesthood of believers. Talk to someone. Tell them, I can hardly see anymore. This is so big. That bit of confession, that vulnerable act, can be the beginning of healing and forgiveness within the community of Christ. Jesus calls out the hypocrite and the practices of a hypocrite, but he is assuming there is an action of a brother or sister. The loving care of the removal of the speck. 
And where a speck can and should be removed, obviously the log can and should be removed. The removal of obstructions is good. I want the, the specks removed from my eyes, don't you? I want to see clearly. I want to see unencumbered, unfogged. I want the help of a brother and sister, but I want the help of a brother and sister who can see clearly, who can see what to do. Just the other day, I was snuggling with my youngest, and he had a little eyelash on his eye, which I I don't know how babies stay so calm when there's an eyelash on their eye, but because I was clear-eyed and I knew what to do, I could remove the irritant. There's a proper posture of care for another, but it requires a humility to jettison our own sin. Stop with the whataboutism. Let us ask for the eradication of our own sin, or we are incapable of, disqualified for, assisting others in theirs. The church ought to be a place where sinners can be helped and loved and cared for. The embassy of the kingdom of Jesus ought to be a place where medicine is dispensed. Chrysostom said, correct him, alluding to one who has sinned. Correct him, but not as a foe, not as an adversary exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicines. That level of care requires a sober view of sin everywhere out there, in here, in here, It requires a realization that we need justice and we need mercy and grace. It requires the realization that I should not sit in the seat of judgment because someone is already sitting there and he is good. Amen? It requires I run to him and his community because I have stuff in my eyes. And as your vision is cleared, you can observe and help others. Not just pointing out flaws, but lovingly providing medicine. You ought to want to point to remedy. And as a Christian, we know the one who can redeem. Let us, fellow Christian, be willing to put away all encumbrances so we can point to the remedy. Do not judge. Do not sit in God's judgment seat. Beware your own sin. Don't act the hypocrite, but rather the loving sister or brother. Jesus says, in continuing, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Does anyone else read this and get a little confused? I thought we were talking about not judging, but now we have this little parable, a small word picture that seems to tell us to weigh what we give to people. Specific people, there is some level of decision-making here, some discerning, some determining, some judging. Friends, take this as another example of how to read your Bibles. Someone throws the comment, Jesus tells us not to judge, and your impulse as a kingdom person should be to pull out your Bible, turn to chapter 7, because we just talked about this at church, and start reading. Where does that verse sit in the Sermon on the Mount? 
what is around it, a description of the way people act who are anticipating the kingdom, characteristics of the kingdom. Is it an all-out ban or does it bring some nuance? Is it a fully fleshed out idea? And verse 6 is the beginning of that understanding. Verse 6 is proof that when Jesus says, do not judge, he is not saying, be unthinking, undiscerning, simple actors in this world. Evaluation is necessary and needed. You need to understand what and who you are up against in any given situation, and you will need to act accordingly. Friends, let's talk about this word picture. Do not give the dogs. Friends, these are the scavenging dogs of the ancient world, not man's best friend sitting on the couch. These dogs eat the scraps, vicious, wild. The holy is likely a reference to the holy or set-apart food of the temple. Think the wonderfully prepared, unblemished, sacrificial, sacred steak. You do not give to a dog what belongs in the temple. This is akin to hearing a stray, angry dog in the street and thinking, I'm going to give him my Thanksgiving turkey. And you throw it out the door. First off, your family is going to be very angry. And secondly, that dog is going to stick around and that dog is not nice. It may come after you, attacking you for more meat like the end of this verse suggests. You need to be careful with the dogs, discerning, properly judging what to do, what to give, what to say. And then the pigs. Picture taking your string of pearls or borrowing your wife's, or someone who owns a collection of carefully secured, precious pearls, and walking out to the pigsty and saying, pigs love playing with pearls. I will just throw these in here. Again, you will have an angry family. It's all family advice. And the pigs will trample all over them. They will be submerged in pig-produced mud. I'm trying to be kind. Encrusted in filth. And what does that do? It shows a foolishness to your interaction with the pigs. And it also shows a surprising lack of understanding of the value of the pearls. You have taken something beautiful and allowed it to be dirtied, worse than disregarded. You have allowed it to be trampled in the filth. Jesus is imploring a discerning stance. Think about what you are doing. Judge properly your action. Who are the dogs and the pigs? At very least, they are dangerous people. They may attack you. The way you interact with them is important. You need to consider carefully what you will do, what you will say, what you will offer. I'm reminded of the proverb in Proverbs 9. It says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Alternately, reprove a wise man and he will love you. You need to judge these things. Who are you talking to? Judge how you will speak and interact. What is holy can be received well by one and spark anger, fury in another. I could have truth and wisdom to give to someone that clearly needs it, but they may respond like the dog. They may trample like the pig. 
Do not be willy-nilly haphazard in what you offer. Do not assume that just because something is true, it will be accepted gently. And these pearls, Jesus in just a few chapters will describe the kingdom of heaven as precious pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is so wonderful, so valuable. The news of the kingdom is such that a person, when finding it, is willing to give up everything to buy the pearl. That speaks to the appropriate value of the kingdom, yes? This kingdom is a pearl that is worth everything. I will give it all up in order to gain the pearl, but there are some that will hear the news and trample all over it. Rub it in the pig-produced mud, encrust it in filth, and trample it as though it were of no value. Don't throw it to the pigs. Where does discernment and judgment come in? Does this call us to limit our scope of proclamation of the gospel as though we would say, oh, let's, let's have an overzealous assumption of bad responses. Let's go proclaim the gospel, but that, that, that person over there may act like a dog. That person over there may reject it. That person over there may not like it. This is not the posture described here. The parable describes a knowing understanding of the nature of people. This is the person who has repeatedly shown themselves to be hostile to the gospel. This is the person that, when given the opportunity, tries to trample over your beautiful gospel. Judgment here is to say, I care so much about this pearl, I'm not going to let you trample it anymore. The kingdom of heaven is a pearl that is worth all I have. I won't let you attempt to sully it with your filth anymore. Chrysostom describes the dogs as people living in incurable ungodliness. These are the people you have attempted to offer the medicine to time and time and time again. The gospel is an unbelievable, glorious thing. Don't continue to hand it to people who will trample it in the mud. Does this require a hard, recalcitrant heart from you? No. Your heart can be soft. Your concern for them, great. Your prayers for them, fervent. But your distance may be consistent. I don't need to be in the face of someone to pray for them. To ask the king of the kingdom to send the spirit to soften their heart, to open their eyes, to make the beauty of the pearl shine and make it obvious. I can be judicious and he can be effective. Where does this leave us? Do not judge. Do not sit as the judge over others as though you were able to be the judge and sit in the seat that only God is capable of sitting in. Stott says it well. Do not judge does not mean do not think. It is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. And in this 
bit of the sermon, generosity is assumed, right? Of course, a Christian would desire to remove the speck. But let us be aware of our own sin before we run to help. Our discernment requires humility. And while sitting in judgment is forbidden, we are not asked to jettison our our judgment, our thinking, our evaluation of the veracity or truthfulness of ideas or wise ways of living. In fact, Jesus himself counsels for a wise, judicious way of interacting, especially with the most valuable of truths, the good news of the kingdom, the gospel. And what is that gospel? Friends, that story is that we were created by a good and gracious God in proper relationship with Him and each other. Our ancestors long ago sat in a garden with God and everything was beautiful until they decided to swap the judgment of God for their own and presume to take His place of knowing good and evil. The result was the fall, the fall of humanity, the fall of creation, sin injected into everything, affecting every one of us, the very creation itself. God, however, did not give up His rightful seat as judge. He is just. He executes justice. He is good and will not let rebellion and evil go ignored. That is why Jesus came to proclaim a kingdom, a kingdom of justice and righteousness, where justice is praised and righteousness is practiced, where the good king, the rightful judge, is enthroned and there are no longer any rivals for his seat. Jesus came proclaiming that kingdom, preaching that kingdom. He also came preaching and warning of the judgment, of his judgment, He speaks of the false prophets and the wolves being judged and thrown into the fire. In just a couple verses, he says, Beware of false prophets who came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by your fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He spoke of the day, he spoke of his judgment, he spoke of the day of judgment. In Matthew 12, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. This King Jesus came to restore creation, to remedy the fall, but the remedy comes through just judgment. And in coming to save those who have presumed to be the judges, he put himself in their hands to accept injustice from them in order to secure justice. This is astounding. This is hours before he is hung on a cross. In Matthew 26, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God to tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, 
From now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. And the sinless one, the true judge, gave himself up to hypocritical judges. And through their broken judgment, Jesus hung on a cross. But the true judge works the great reversal, working triumph from injustice and secures for us justice by bearing the punishment for every hypocritical thing we have done, for every speck and every timber, for every unjust word and action. He took the just penalty and He died for our sins, for your sins. And the judge lay dead in the tomb for our injustice. But that is, is that the end of the story? No, the judge rose again. And he is alive and well. Now there is remedy. A righteous judge sits on the throne, forgiving and reconciling people to himself. And he tells his people, his citizens of his kingdom, do not judge because you are reconciled to the judge. Is that good news? Amen. And that good news is what gives us reason to gather. That good news is the reason we take communion together. Communion is the remembrance of Christ's death for us and a proclamation of that truth through physical elements, the bread and the cup. Communion is for anyone who says, yes, I know that the judge died for me and connected me to himself. I am with Jesus. If you are not in that place, take the next few moments and ponder the good news. Pray to Jesus to change your heart, to connect you to himself, to reconcile you to the judge. He will do it.